so glad that you're here today. And I just got to tell you, uh, I say something to the effect of this each and every week, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, and especially for those of you in the house today, man, you guys look good. You look so good. And I know I look good too. I know I'm saying, please don't. <laughs> Believe me, I am under no illusion, okay? So good to see you. Bless you. Bless you. A couple of things before we move into our time of the word today. Uh, if you are not a part of our 714 prayer in the mornings, I want to invite you to be a part of that. It's on my Facebook page, and so that means you have to be my friend. I know. I know. There are crosses to bear for all of us, and that is one of them. But would you join us? We would, I would really count that a privilege. And then 714, we're praying together. And all I can say is um, God, is using, God is using these times of prayer. And I will, I'm, I'll say it this way. If... Um, if no one else is getting anything from it, I am. Um, God, God is doing something. I don't fully understand. Just be honest. But he's doing something. What I, what I want to be sensitive to is what God wants to do. I want to follow that. I don't want to get ahead of him. I want to walk alongside him. But he is, and it's an interesting concept of him leading. I'm not, you understand what I'm saying? I want to be led by the Lord, not just always dragging behind or getting out ahead. But God is doing something through those times of prayer that I believe transcend these times of prayer. I don't know. That sounds, maybe that sounds a little weird, but here's what I, here's what I mean. Um, we've been doing this about 60, I think 62 days each morning, over two months now. I don't see any end in sight because I believe God wants to, is saying something to us as a church, certainly saying something to me as your pastor, but he's saying something to us as a church. So join us if you can. Uh, and you can always watch it during the course of the day. You don't have to be live with us. It's always good to be live because I give a little shout out to everybody that I can to say hi and just connect with you. Uh, but join me. I would really count on privilege. It's also loaded up. It's, it's uploaded to our Facebook, our Crossroads Church Facebook page. So you can always access it there. One other thing, we are in that time of the year where we have board nominees. Uh, we are, we'll be seating at least one, we're seeing one individual for board service. And if you have someone you'd like to nominate, uh, please let us know. And you can do that. The best way to do that is to use an email. And the email is simple, office at gotocrossroads.com. And just let us know. This individual, whoever they are, needs to be a partner in good standing with Crossroads. But we can take care of that. If you have someone on your heart, God places someone on your mind, let us know. And we'll follow up with them. Well, we're in a series of messages now, Joy Regardless, and Joy Regardless is from the book Philippians, and uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such a delightful, it's such a delightful study. And I wonder this morning, have you ever given much thought, ever given much thought about preserves? Now, let me explain that a little bit. Preserves. When I think of preserves, my mind immediately goes to my mother-in-law, uh, Marcy's mom. She, she canned 
just a ton of things out of her garden. And we also had, she always, we had great strawberry preserves. She would just can, pick, and pickles. She was, oh man, fabulous pickles. I just, oh, and Marcy does it too. So I'm like, yes, yes. She learned that from her mother, and now we have those same wonderful preserves in our, in our house. It's terrific. Well, we also, just kind of speaking of our own situation, we have a few pieces of antiques around the house. We don't have a lot. We have, you know, three or four, whatever it is. But one of those pieces of antiques was her grandfather's table. It is a, it's a, what's called a ball and claw table. So if you ever know what that is, little glass ball is on the leg, and then there's this, like, this bird claw over the top of it. They're really cool. They're old, but it was her grandfather's. And so it was in somewhat of disrepair when we got it, so she preserved it by completely sanding it down and refinishing it. So she preserved it. Well, then I learned something this week I didn't know. I don't know, maybe you don't either. Have you ever, did you know of uh, Skunk Hollow Preserve? Skunk Hollow Preserve sits between Murrieta and French Valley, and it is a seasonal uh, preserve. I didn't know it was there. It's not real big, but it's certainly there along with some of the other preserves in the area, like uh, Rory Paw Ranch it has a 200-acre preserve, and then there's one other that's close, and that's Johnson Ranch. So preserves. Now, these are three random things talking about preserves, whether they're fruit and vegetables, or whether they're preserving a piece of furniture, or whether there is a, a piece of land that has been set aside as a preserve. But the one thing, as you can see in common, is that they're preserved. So, as you might imagine, we're going to talk about preserve today. There you go. And if you're going to preserve something, if you're going to preserve something, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to hear. It means to keep it alive in existence. It means to make it last, to protect it, to keep it safe, preserved. Now, <laughs> we have been in the last three and a half months, we need to preserve some joy in the middle of everything that's going on, can anybody give me a good amen on that? If there's, any, if there's any topic that's appropriate to where we are, it's the preserving of our joy. Now, in our first week, I gave a quote from Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday gave up his Major League Baseball career to preach, became an evangelist. He made a great statement. He said this. He said, if you have no joy... If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And that is such a fabulous statement as it applies to our topic. Because there are things that come into our lives, whether outside forces, inside, whatever they might be, that can erode that which maintains and preserves and deepens and sustains our joy. We want to stop that leak. We want to preserve the joy that has been birthed within us by what Jesus Christ has done. I want that to be preserved. So the circumstance from the outside shouldn't attack that and affect it. We need to put some things in place to help preserve our joy. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning from Philippians chapter 3, first four verses. So look at it with me in your Bibles. You can also join us on the screens. You can do your mobile device, whatever that may be. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. 
Watch out for those dogs, those, mutil- those, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Up to this point in the book of Philippians, Paul has given us some, some really good, good uh, instruction. But this begins the second half. And essentially he is saying, by using the word further, here's what he's saying. Everything I just said is a prelude to everything I'm going to say. In other words, he's getting ready to jump into some deep, deep instruction. That's why this is significant. So we start today by talking about preserving our joy regardless. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak life to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Three things we want to talk about today to preserve our joy regardless. The first is this. Embrace a purposeful redundancy. Now you go, you look at that phrase and you go, what in the world? I've heard this guy talk about purposeful redundancy before. Yep, I'm being redundant in talking about purposeful redundancy. What is redundancy? Well, here's a visual image that'll define it for you. It's just over and over and over again. It is unnecessary, here's the words, unnecessary repetition. You don't need to say it again and again and again. But what is so significant about what Paul says, he says, I'm going to tell you the same things again and again and again. And specifically, he says, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, in the book of Philippians, we talked about this before, somewhere between 14 to 18 different times, depending upon the translation that you use, Paul references joy or a derivative of that word, rejoice, is another way of saying it. He is being purposely redundant. And we need to embrace it so that our joy is preserved. Preserved. Now, one of the things that is significant to me, when you think about redundancy and the importance of it, when you're in elementary school, for example, your teacher probably showed you flashcards. Why? To reinforce, uh, it was a learning tool. Again and again and again. You went through multiplication tables. Why? Over and over again to get it into your heart. It was purposeful redundancy. We looked at it and go, this is pointless. I already know how to do this. But the teachers wanted to get it deep embedded within our minds and hearts so we didn't forget it. That's what Paul is doing. And he says it very clearly. I write to you the same things. Why? Because he wants the joy to be preserved in the lives of the Philippian church. And he adds this, it's a safeguard for you. You see, we need to be reminded of the things that will preserve our joy. It is a safeguard for us. So you look at it and you say, you know, I've heard heard Gary talk about this again and again and again and again. I mean, why does he just keep talking about this? Why does he go on to something new? Partially, it's because it's a safeguard for us to get these things deeply embedded in our spirit, in our life. It will preserve. Now, there is no shortage of joy killers in our, in our lives right now. Am I right? Come on. Am I right? Every time you turn around, something else is just shooting down your joy. That's just the nature of where we are. But I would also say, and that's the present season we're in. But I might suggest that a year ago, there were a bunch of joy killers. And I'm going to suggest a year from now, there's going to be a bunch of joy killers. So how do we preserve our joy 
just as life continues to unfold? Well, it is the repetitions of the truths of the gospel that will preserve our joy. We have to repeat again and again the things that got us to where we are and that will sustain us and deepen our joy regardless. And I'm going to talk about two things. And I'm telling you, I am so excited to be able to talk to you about these two things because I'm going to be redundant, and I have been redundant. I'll be redundant again. I'm going to say these things until Jesus comes. Here they are. Ready? A passionate dedication to God's Word and a continual pursuit of prayer. Those are the two things that I believe we have got to just continue to talk about. We've got to champion them. We have to embrace them. You want to have joy regardless, you've got to embrace this. They do five things. They do more than that, but I'm going to give you five. The first, they give us direction. They give us direction. James chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. There it is. We need wisdom. You need direction for your life. Ask God. 2 Peter chapter 1, speaking of God's word, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Look, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. It gives direction. God's word and prayer will give us direction. Second thing it does, it provides protection for us. Our battle, hear me, and even in our present present state of affairs, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers. against the dark forces in the heavenly realms. We are fighting spiritual battles most of our day. What's going to happen? Protection over the spiritual battles that we face. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on every occasion. How do we combat the spiritual di- the spiritual difficulties and the warfare that comes against us? This is how we do it. We do it through the word of God and through prayer. It also helps us overcome temptation. And Jesus was a marvelous example of this. Matthew chapter 4 verses 4, 7 and 10. Three words. It is written. When the adversary of our souls, when Satan was tempting Jesus for 40 days, what was Jesus' answer? It is written. We've got to embrace that purposeful redundancy. We've got to know the Word of God so that when the temptations come our way, we are able to combat it with the weapons that He has given to us to combat. And then we read in Mark 14, verse 38, Jesus said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body is weak. The fourth thing it does, it creates communion within us. And this is just the relationship that we share with God. When we are spending time in the word, when we are in prayer, something happens. We are developing a deeper, loving relationship with God. Our Father, it creates communion. John 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Once again, word and prayer. And then finally, it brings consolation, which just means peace or comfort. Psalm 119, and verse 165, great peace. Have those who love your law. Let me just stop. I want to I 
affirm something that I know is happening in many of our lives. We are in turmoil. There is a lot of anxiety within our lives right now. And how do we combat that? We need to embrace the peace that God's word provides for us. It is written. And then Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, come on now, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We have to embrace a purposeful redundancy. You've heard this stuff before. You've heard it a hundred times. You've heard it a thousand times. You're going to hear it a thousand times more because it is a safeguard of preserving your joy regardless. Second, we need to reject a diabolical legalism. Now, I use that term very intentionally. Paul is dealing with legalists in Philippi. Now, what does that mean? Well, legalism is a doctrinal position. Hear this. Emphasizing a system of rules and regulations. Now, look. Rules and regulations for achieving salvation and spiritual growth. Legalism. In other words, you got to do A, B, and C in order to experience really what God's going to do in your life. And if you don't do this, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. And now, I kind of grew up this way, okay? So I just want to set this, uh, help you kind of a little context. I kind of grew up this way. I kind of grew up in a very legalistic approach to life and, and faith. Now, my mother and father were very well intentioned, and I'm very grateful for the way I was raised. I got, a lot of, I got a lot of what on the one side, but not a lot of why. And there was a lot of things I, I honestly, I couldn't do anything. That's probably why I eat so much chocolate ice cream. It was the one thing I knew I could do, and it wasn't a sin. Or maybe the amount that I eat becomes a sin. I'm not sure. The point is, is it just seemed like there was nothing that I could do. If I were to sit here and list all the things that I could not do as a young teenager... <laughs> or as an older teenager still in the home, you go, what? Are you serious? I would be serious. And I got a long list. But I felt as if, now, mom and dad didn't, they really didn't teach this, but this is what I felt. I felt that I had to earn my way to the approval of God. I had to earn my way to be saved. I had to earn, I had to, if I did this, man, I'm, you know, it's over, it's over. It was just a different perspective. It was a wrong perspective. One young man wrote about it, and he said this, and I thought, this really maybe applies to you. For years, legalism distorted my perspective and my desire to follow Jesus. Because there were so many do's and so many don'ts. Why would I want to do this? What's the point? I can't ever measure up. I can't ever make it. I can never, I can never do enough. Legalism. Maybe that's how you felt. Maybe that's how you feel right now. I, I don't know. And maybe what we just talked about, like scripture and prayer, makes you feel somehow that your eternal destiny, your salvation, and your security in Christ is in jeopardy because you're not passionately dedicated to the word of it because you're not continually pursuing God in prayer. And so, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I can't do this. So therefore, God doesn't love me. My security, I don't, I'm not saved. I, I don't have any hope. What in the world am I going to do? And how do I navigate all of this? Those, hear me, those are safeguards that preserve your joy regardless. 
Now, but hear this carefully. And they'll enhance your spiritual growth. There's no question. But they are not required for you to be saved. Do you hear me? They are not required for you to be saved. Hear this carefully. We come to Christ by grace through faith period, end of story, final answer. It is by grace that you and I have been saved when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Legalism is diabolical. It will take you away from the things of God, but it is by grace through faith that you and I are saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I need to know that. I need to know that. Legalism, as I stated a moment ago, is diabolical. We must expose it and deny it and have nothing to do with it. It diminishes our joy. And what Paul does is masterful. He uses explicit language. Now, it doesn't really come across that way in English, but it does in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament. But he says these three terms. Ready? He says, dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. When he said that, the Philippians went and went, what? It would have been a collective gasp, because that is really harsh. He is laying it on. He is doing... Something just that I would say is shock treatment. He wants to move them out of a place of complacency into something go, whoa, this is not good. And you see, what was happening is there was a group of people in the Philippian church saying, you have to be circumcised. In other words, you have to obey the law of Moses and it's Jesus and the law of Moses until you can, that's the only way you can be saved. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. It is by grace through faith alone. And he is saying, no, they are dogs. They are evildoers. They're mutilators of the flesh. And they're going, whoa, whoa. And you know, some of us need to be in this. We need to be shocked back into a place of reality. There's nothing you can do or I can do more that will cause God to love you any more than he does right now. Right now. Man, that's good. I need to be reminded of that. And sometimes we need to have our system shocked to remember how important to preserve joy regardless is. There was a junior high school in, in Oregon where they, have, they were having a problem in the school. And the problem was the girls were going into the bathroom, putting lipstick on, and then kissing the mirror and leaving lip marks all over the mirror. So the custodian came to the principal and said, this, is, this has got to stop. He said, what's going on? I told him. Well, clean it up. He says, I am. He says, but you don't realize how hard it is. I can't get the lipstick. It's a mess. I'm doing it all the time. It's got to stop. Help me. Principal said, all right. All right. I think I, I think I got an idea. So he called this group of girls. I guess it was kind of a group of girls that was doing it. They're kind of infamous for that. You know, these, the herds that run around schools together. You know, they all look. They're herds. They are. That's what they are. Just, you have to admit, they're herds. They all dress alike. They all look alike. It's just, it's hilarious. I love it. Anyway, so this herd was there. So he brings him into the bathroom. said, I know you guys have been, you know, putting lips and kissing the mirrors. And the custodians, it's happening. And this is going to stop, girls. So, so I just want you to, sh I just want to show you how hard it is for our custodian to clean the mirror. 
So he looks at the because he says, okay, show him. So the custodian takes his squeegee, he walks over to the toilet, dips the squeegee in the toilet, and then washes the mirror. It shocked them into reality. And sometimes we need to have a shock back to reality. You see, there's a couple of questions we have to ask about legalism. The first one is this, why is it so diabolical? The first thing it does is it promotes meism. Meism. This is an inappropriate exaltation of me. I start thinking of myself more than I should be. I, 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 I think I'm all that when I'm really not all that. When it comes to the things of God. Luke chapter 18, it's a great story. It's a parable Jesus told. Jesus told the story to someone who had great confidence. Look at this. Had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. All right? Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It promotes a meism that should not be there. The second thing that it does, why it's so diabolical, it elevates rules above relationships. The rules become what's important, not God. It's not a relationship with God. It's what I do. Mark 7 and verse 8, Jesus said this. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. In other words, it's the rules. It's not God. It's not God. And then the second question you have to ask, okay, what are we to do to preserve our joy when faced with legalism? We understand why it's so diabolical, but what do we do? How do we, how, do we get, how do we navigate through this? First thing you do is you do everything for God's glory. Everything for God's glory. Your life, your day, your experiences, whether at work or at home, at play, I don't care where it is, our lives will be absolutely different if we did everything to the glory of God. Everything. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 10. So whatever you do, do we all understand whatever means? Whatever means whatever. I say that again so you get it. Whatever means whatever. There aren't limitations on that. It's not in my leisurely life and my professional life. We compartmentalize it. No, I'll do everything for the glory of God here, but I won't do everything for the glory of God there. No, whatever encompasses all of life. That's important. It's a perspective on life. And it becomes liberating. And joy is preserved because of it. Legalism is put down. And joy rises up. And the leaks are sealed. Then the second thing is to be genuinely obedient. And I use that word very intentionally. Genuinely obedient. Yes. Following Christ includes obedience. It does. There's no question about it. The scripture is filled with it. But... It's important to understand it is not required for our salvation. What I mean by that, it is not a set of do's and don'ts that approves us in the sight of God. No, it's by grace through faith. James 
I love this. Listen to this phrase. Obedience is how Christ followers should live, not how they are saved. It becomes the natural response of our lives. We want to be, I'll say it this way, I get to be obedient. It is a privilege to obey the Lord. My joy is then preserved, James 2. So too faith, if it doesn't have works to back it up, is itself, by, is itself dead, inoperative and ineffective. And then the last thing is that we place relationship over rules. God wants our hearts first because a heart that glorifies him will naturally produce works. Ready? Excuse me. A heart that loves him will naturally produce works that glorify him. A heart that loves him will naturally produce works that glorify him. That's where we should live. John 15, remain in me and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce itself, produce fruit, if it is severed from the vine, and it cannot, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Our joy is preserved when God has our hearts, not when we just obey the rules. The last thought this morning is to accept a meaningful identity. Paul makes a statement that we who are the circumcision, now it's compared to the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. He says, we who are the circumcision. What's he talking about? He says, he's just talking about genuine faith. Those who us who embrace genuine faith, Genuine faith, genuine identity. His words provide a descriptive identity to who we are in Jesus. There's a lot of talk out there about identity, whether it's identity politics, gender identity, and I think even to a degree it filters into the church, trying to figure out who we are in Christ. What is our identity in Christ? And I understand it, and I think it's a, it is a very important topic to embrace, or rather to discuss. What I believe Paul does is give three markers to what our identity is. The first, or these really show, if we live this way, it explains something. Maybe that's a good way to say it. It explains something. It shows us that, we're, that we belong to Christ, that we have a meaningful identity in Christ. We are true believers. The first is how we worship. Now, I'm not, what I'm saying is not that whether we clap our hands or raise our hands or kneel, or, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. The how of our worship is more along how we live our life. It's our life of worship. So you see, all of life is worship. All of it. Everything. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. Our life becomes worship. How do we live our lives? You see, worship is prayer, consecrated life set apart to God, for God. Worship involves our character, our right attitude before God. And it's accompanied by a supernatural enabling. John 4. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And then Paul's classic, classic definition, Romans 12, 1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. Look at this. This is truly the way to worship him. Second thing is not only how do we worship, but then the second, our life is all about Jesus. Paul's conveying as Christ followers that we enthusiastically appreciate who Jesus is and all he's done and glorify him alone as worthy of our praise. I just have to ask, am I living this way? Does my whole life does my whole life represent Jesus? Am I all about Jesus? 
You know, I just got to, and don't answer the question, just think about it. Are we all about Jesus? Is, that's what's, is that what is reflected in our lives? It's an incredible challenge. There's a story in the book of Acts that just illustrates this so well. I'll set it up. Peter and John have come from the temple. They've, there's been a lame man who was healed. And because of that healing, they're called in front of the ruling council. And so it's that account that we're picturing. And Luke writes it so masterfully. He gives us this visual of what's happening in this, among the rulers. And here's what, here's what we read. And I'm reading from the message paraphrase, which is just really great. They couldn't take their eyes off of them, Peter and John, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these were two laymen with no training in Scripture or formal education. And here's the part I want you to catch. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. What? When is the last time I have walked into an environment and people said, that's a companion of Jesus? I would hope that would happen today. I hope it happens tomorrow. I hope it happens in your life. If our lives are all about Jesus and we are doing everything to the glory of Jesus Christ and we're living a life of worship, I will make make a declaration. When you walk into an environment, whether it's at work or it's at home or in your neighborhood, people are going to know you have been with Jesus. You are a companion of Jesus. You belong to Jesus. That is an identity that we should embrace 100%. It is who we are. We're first and foremost followers of Jesus Christ. And then finally, we need to have a right attitude about me. Now, you, I hope you have a right attitude about me, but I'm not talking about you having an attitude about me. I'm, having, I'm talking about you having an attitude about you. It needs to be right. I need to have a right attitude about me. You need to have a right attitude about you. I must confess, I, uh, I talk a little bit too much negative self-talk. You know, I put myself down. You know, you probably, you may do that too. Call myself names, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, and that's probably not good. And Marcy calls me on it, holds me accountable to it. Uh, and it's, it's probably not healthy. Paul says this. He says, I put no confidence in the flesh. That's a marker. No confidence in the flesh. In other words, I'm not going to boast in me. I'm going to boast in Christ. That's what he's saying. I put no confidence in the flesh. And then he adds this, even though I have a right for confidence, I'm not going to do it. Jeremiah 9.24, I love this. Look at how it's phrased in the, in, the, in the contemporary English version. If you feel, you must brag. Okay? Everybody understands that? Bragging. If you feel, you must brag, then have enough sense to brag about worshiping me, the Lord. Come on. That's as good as it gets. It sets the appropriate understanding of who we are. You know, I'm grateful for everything that God has done in my life. And I don't say this to be self-deprecating. I say it, but in myself I am nothing. Everything I am is because of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 and verse 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. So when I look at these three things, embracing a purposeful redundancy, rejecting a diabolical legalism, and then accepting a meaningful 
identity. These are things that will preserve our joy. Preserve them. So I want to revisit those real quick as we close. Purposeful redundancy that I want to leave you through with this is this. This is something I say virtually every week. And I'm going to say it every week until I can't say it anymore. You ready? Here it is. Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you a Christ follower? Do you, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you committed your whole heart to him as Lord and Savior? You see, I could say a whole bunch of different ways. I'm just being purposely redundant because that is a safeguard to your life. Not only your life right now, but your life for eternity. So I'm going to ask you again, are you saved? Are you born again? Do you know Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about knowing about him. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? You see, that is purposeful redundancy that's a safeguard to your life, and it will preserve your joy both now and for eternity. So, just ask that question. Are you saved? You say, Gary, you're being redundant. You bet I am, and I'll continue to be. Second thing is that we reject legalism. Well, before I do that, Acts 16 and verse 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> and you will be Saved. <laughs> it's as good as it gets. What is the next one? Reject legalism. You see, it's not by what you do. It's not all the good works that saves you. You are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Come to faith in Christ. And then lastly... Except a meaningful identity. I hope not a person walks from this room today not, not understanding who you are. You are a child. If, if you know Jesus, hear me, if you know Jesus, you are a child of the living God. You belong to Jesus. Your first identity Okay, my first identity, yeah, I have a last name of Jones along with about 440 million other people. That's an identity. But my first identity is not my name. It is not my nationality. My first identity is I belong to Jesus. I'm a child of the King of Kings. I'm a child of God. That's a game changer for you. It's a game changer for you. You don't have to wonder about identity and questions and difficulties and challenges. No, your identity is in Jesus if you know him. And I love what Jesus, or rather what John wrote, John chapter 1, but all, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right, the privilege of being a child of God. That's who you are. Would you pray with me? Thanks, Jesus, for today. You're so good to us. We love you. Lord, I pray that today we would, in just this moment or two that we have left, we'd put, we would accept this, this, uh, this redundancy, embrace this purposeful redundancy that we're saved. And if we're not this morning, I pray that right at this moment we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we'd believe in our heart that you're alive and the word declares to us that we would be saved. 
Let it be so for anyone in this room this morning. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that we'd reject this idea that we've got to do something more and more and more in order to be accepted by God and to receive this very free and wonderful gift of salvation. Lord, we reject that in the name of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith. Let it go deep into our lives. And then, Lord, I pray that we would accept the identity of who we are. We are people of God. We are the children of the living God. That's who we are. And we thank you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name.